Let's pray. Uh, Lord, that's true. We are weak and frail and helpless. Lord, we don't like to admit that. Uh, We spend a lot of time trying to convince ourselves and others that we're not. But Lord, it's good for us to admit together this morning uh, our weakness and our neediness. You are strong. You are mighty. You are wise and good. You are gracious and compassionate. And you are near to all who call on you in truth. So Lord, we call on you in truth this morning. Speak to us through your word. Teach us through your truth this morning. Further your image in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as I've been reflecting in the last couple of weeks on humility and pride in the book of Proverbs, um, early on, I was reminded of of a line in an auto, not an autobiography, a biography I read years ago of a pastor, Charles Simeon, who was a pastor for decades in Cambridge, England. Suffered some serious trials for years and years and years. I mean, he had a rough go. Um, But this one statement is what has always stuck in my head. It was a statement about his inner life, his spiritual life, and and what the the biographer called the, the heartbeat of his inner life. And this was the statement. It said that Simeon longed to grow downward in humility and upward in adoring communion with God. That, that was his daily t- sort of two drives, downward in humility, upward in loving communion and adoration of God. And, and that phrase has become a, a prayer for me this week, a daily prayer. Lord, would you give me a longing to grow downward? Lord, it's not natural for my heart to want to grow downward. My, my heart naturally wants to exalt itself. Lord, I'm proud. Would you make me humble? I've been asking that that for us this morning, the Lord would further this work in us of growing downward joyfully, um, submitting ourselves before a glorious, uh, praiseworthy God. Well, humility and pride in Proverbs is pervasive. I mean, it just runs through the entire book. Pride and humility are almost synonymous in Proverbs with foolishness and wisdom. They're not exactly synonymous, but they're related. This morning, I want to make just three observations from Proverbs about humility. And the first one is this, that humility, I think, is the posture of wisdom. That's how humility and uh, wisdom are related. Humility is the heart posture of wisdom, which makes pride the heart posture of foolishness. If you think about posture, Bad posture. Bad posture is usually how we sit or we stand when we're not thinking. And we're lazy. You slouch or you hunch and you, and you get back aches later. You're just not thinking about it. Good posture is how we hold ourselves when we're thinking about how our body is supposed to be aligned properly for, for health and, and strength. And humility and pride are very similar. Because of sin, I think pride is the posture that comes naturally to our hearts. It's just our default posture. We don't have to work hard or or do conscious thought to be self-centered. We don't have to work hard at being self-absorbed or self-promoting or self-exalting or self-defending or self-righteous. It's just natural to us. Humility on the other hand, is not our heart's natural posture. I'm not speaking for myself here, am I? 
So I think in Proverbs, the heart posture of humility is captured probably the best with the phrase fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the heart posture of humility. It's how the opening nine chapters sort of begun and ended. Proverbs 1.7 said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again in nine, or of knowledge, and in chapter 9, verse 10, it says again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Humility is the posture your heart has to be in to even begin to get knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. You see how they're, they're parallel. The fear of the Lord is to humble oneself before the Lord. Proverbs 22.4 says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. It says, and, not because those are two separate things, I don't think, but because fear of the Lord is humility. One pastor offered this definition for the kind of humility that Proverbs is speaking of, and I really like this. It's honestly assessing yourself and myself in light of two things, in light of God's holiness and in light of our sinfulness. That's the key, Honest assessment. That's what we're so bad at in our pride is honestly assessing ourselves in light of the two things that really matter, who God really is and what we really are like. So for example, 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Us, on the other hand, none is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. All fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. Many of you might have seen this comedy bit years ago. Brian Regan, who's very funny, but he has a comedy routine called Beware the Me Monster. If you haven't seen it, don't Google it on your phone during church, but go look it up later. Totally clean, hilarious, but also insightful. Every time I watch it, I laugh and I'm also convicted. He, he talks about the meme monster as a, 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 a metaphor for our human condition always looking to elevate ourselves above others as we rela- relate. And he talks about telling a story one time at a party and he hadn't even finished the story and someone else says, oh yeah, that ain't nothing. He says, sorry for wasting your time with my nothing story. He says, me monster people are always looking in conversation and interaction to make it clear. There's you, there's me. There's you, there's me. You see the difference? And I laugh at that and I'm also convicted by that because which of us aren't doing that on a daily basis? Comparing ourselves, even if we don't say it or act like it, internally, always looking to, to other people who are below us and so that we can see the difference and feel good about ourselves. But instead, Proverbs is telling us, no, our eyes should be always on the most high God and assess ourselves in light of his holiness. So we're always going, okay, you see you? You see him? You, him, do you see the difference? That's where humility comes from. We're supposed to look at the most high God and recognize the gulf between his holiness and our sinfulness is so massive that it produces a lowly spirit in us. Proverbs 29, 23 says, the the one who's lowly in spirit is wise. 
There's a hymn, we haven't sung in a long time, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And one of the verses sort of gives us our script to help us practice this honest assessment. And one of the verses says, Just and holy is your name. I am all unrighteousness. False and full of sin I am. Thou art full of truth and grace. That's how we train our hearts to assume a posture of humility. That's how fear of the Lord grows, is by, is by seeing the gap in all of its greatness. But I want to add to the, that pastor's definition, because we can also uh, grow in fear of the Lord, assessing ourselves in light of God's uh, knowledge and our ignorance, can't we? Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? The answer is no one. No one's even come a close second. I was thinking of Job. At the end of the book of Job, after Job has questioned God and taken God to task, so to speak, in chapters 38 and 39, God has his turn, if you know the chapter. And he begins questioning Job and saying, okay, Job, tell me about the universe. How did it come to be? Who put all those stars in all those places and those constellations? Whose plan was that? Who upholds them all? How about weather, Job? Where do storms come from? How does snow fall on the mountains? How, does, how do crops grow from the fields? Tell me about the animals on this planet, Job. How are they all designed? How do they all work together? You must know. Well, as you know, it gets to the end of these two chapters and you get to Job 40, verse four. Here's how Job responds, having gotten a big, healthy dose of the gap. He says, behold, I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Now that's a posture of wisdom, laying our hand on our mouth before God. We can also widen the gap and grow in fear of the Lord as we assess ourselves in light of God's infinitude and our finiteness. It's massive. Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. A thousand years in his sight is like yesterday when it's past or like a watch in the night. Us, Psalm 144 says, we're like breath. We're like a passing shadow. We're like grass, Psalm 103 says, or a flower in the field. It looks nice for a day, but the wind passes over it and the next day it's gone and its place doesn't even remember it was there. Think about this for a minute. Can't we be, we can be so concerned day to day with maintaining and upholding our image and asserting our importance to one another and promoting ourselves and trying to be impressive. And then verses like this come along and just knock all the bluster out of us. A passing shadow is not impressive. It's gone. When our eyes are on this great gap between our smallness and our weakness and our frailness and God's infinite greatness and glory and moral perfection, we will be humbled with fear of the Lord and we'll grow downward. But sadly, as we see in Proverbs, that's not where our eyes are naturally looking. It struck me this week that the posture of pride in Proverbs is probably captured best by this little phrase, in your eyes. Proverbs 3, 7, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord. 
So being wise in your own eyes is the opposite of fear of the Lord. It's complete, inaccurate, untrustworthy assessment of yourself and myself. It's foolish. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So the proud heart posture is fingers in the ears because I know what's right. I know what's wise. I don't need to be told. I don't need to learn. Proverbs 16, 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. So we can assess our moral character incorrectly too. And we justify our sin and we rationalize and we compare and posture so that from the angle we see ourselves, we're, we're pure. But it says the Lord weighs the spirit. His assessment is the one that counts. Proverbs 30, 12 says, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Reminds me of a story. Jesus told a story to people like this, people like you and me, people who tend to trust in themselves that they're righteous and can look at others with contempt. Maybe you're familiar with the story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector and the Pharisee, standing by himself, (laughs) prayed like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went home justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We're a lot more like that Pharisee than we care to admit, aren't we? Even this last week, I wonder if the thought has crossed your mind, God, I thank you that I'm not like, fill in the blank with whoever This week, you might put in that blank to assure yourself that you're clean, you're pure, you're right. The heart posture of pride is deadly. Proverbs says if we stay in it, we actually cut ourselves off from being washed of our filth or being justified or exalted in God's sight. Proverbs is serious about how God feels about pride. Listen, Proverbs 8.13 Pride and arrogance and the way of the evil and perverted speech, I hate, God says. He says, pride and arrogance, I hate. It occurred to me this week that I think that we might think of pride as being a fairly safe sin to confess in a group. You know what I mean? At Grace Group, you might never even consider confessing addiction to alcohol or pornography or um, abusive anger. That's just too vulnerable, too shameful to admit. But pride is almost a good one to confess. It almost can make you humble to say, yeah, I struggle with pride. (laughs) But but pride and arrogance, God is saying, I hate it. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Pride turns God's stomach. And that's my natural posture of my heart. I think it's safe to say we are not nearly as disgusted and ashamed of our pride as we ought to be. 
So our hearts need serious sort of chiropractic adjustment here if we're gonna grow out of prideful posture into humble posture. Point number two. Humility, according to the Proverbs and throughout the Bible, is the path to honor. Humility is actually the path to being exalted. I want you to think again about what Jesus said after he, he, he told that story when he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. He's appealing to something in us, a desire that we actually have to be honored, to be exalted. And it's not, it's not bad in and of itself. You know that God created you for honor. To be created in his image to reflect him uniquely in this world is the highest honor anyone could be given. God created us in the first place to experience the honor of being in his image. But our sin has distorted that and brought dishonor upon us. And that's why Jesus came to redeem us and actually restore the honor that we lost. I was thought, you know, Hebrews says that Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. And he doesn't just mean bring us to behold the glory of God. That's part of it. But he also means to, to be restored into glorious people made in the image of God. Don't you know that's the end game of salvation? Romans 8. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. God wants glory and honor for you in the end. So are we willing to listen to him about the pathway there? He says the path to that is downward in humility. We must humble ourselves. And it feels counterintuitive. Feels like if we're going to be lifted up, we've got to lift ourselves up. But the way up is down. Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low. One who is lowly in spirit, though, will obtain honor. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 15, 33. Again, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor in life. You hear it. The way down in God's economy is up. Humble yourselves, and he will lift you up. One pastor I read this week said, ironically, pride humiliates us. Humility honors us. It's true, right? So here's a question. Why are we so reluctant then to walk the path of humility? I think first because it requires confession and repentance. It, it requires starting by admitting that we're wrong and we're foolishly um, uh, incapable of assessing ourselves properly. We need God's help. And we need to renounce our pride. I love that phrase in, the, in that hymn. We need to pour contempt on our pride. We need to despise our pride and ask God to help us see it whenever it rises its head and hate it all over again and renounce it. I think we're reluctant to, to, to try to walk humbly because it's also not the, the, the glamorous path of life, is it? Being humble often comes with indignities, things we might rather not do. It comes with suffering often. Often God brings trials into our life to help us grow downward in humility. With that truth in mind, think about this last year has been a wonderful opportunity for all of us to grow downward in humility. 
Have we been? Reminded of how little control we really have and how great God is and how much our dependence is utterly in him? I think we're reluctant to walk humbly because it is the path of subordination, which means putting yourself second, putting yourself under and submitting first and foremost subordination to God, but also as a pattern of life, subordinating ourselves to others, to being you first people instead of me first. Proverbs tells us this is the path to honor and it produces an honorable life. And it's true when we think about it. All the characters in movies you've ever seen that are boastful and prideful and arrogant, don't you just cheer when they finally get taken down? Who are the characters that make your heart stir and you say, that's beautiful? It's always the humble ones, isn't it? I want to take a minute and I want to honor a man who's, I think is one of the most humble people I've ever had the pleasure of knowing and seeing their life. Not perfect. No one is, but a beautiful example of humility. And that was Jeff Dykstra. Many of you know Jeff, knew Jeff. But he came to mind this week because this last week, January 4th, was the seventh anniversary of the day he finally ended his battle with cancer. And he heard Jesus say, well done. And on January 3rd, I noticed that Leah had posted on Facebook a request and asked everyone she knew that had known Jeff to share memories and stories of Jeff on her timeline. So on the day anniversary of his death, he could, she could read them with her children and they could just reflect and re remember back on their dad. And if I, some of you might have read that comment thread. It was beautiful and edifying. Someone near the end of the thread said, if I didn't know Jeff, I would think this was made up. Seriously, comment after comment about how Jeff just humbly with a, with a lowly spirit walked before God and people. One nurse that wrote, uh, worked with him talked about how humble he was with the patients he served and said, no patient was below Jeff's tenderness and care. No person was too scary or dirty or sick for Jeff to walk toward and say, greetings. He was a humble, tender servant to his wife and his children evident whenever I saw them together. He was uh, humble before us at Grace, his brothers and sisters, serving so often in the unseen, undignified ways, but needful ways. One of my enduring pictures of Jeff, he would come as one of the deacons and set up our, our communion elements before our communion service, usually with one baby strapped to the front, one baby in the back, always in shorts. He was humble to his neighbors. He was humble to complete strangers. He was humble to the least of these in his neighborhood. And I'll tell you, it was like 55 comments worth of stories. Not one of them was glamorous. Two people used the word mundane. <laughs> and that was a compliment. One said, Jeff Dykstra was a faithful man in the day-to-day, -day, and he truly shined the light of Christ in the most mundane aspects of life, which undoubtedly was the source of who he was. And, and it was true. Well, the next day on January 4th, Leah, having read all those, posted a story of her own that she said, you know, probably not many people outside of my family, our family knows this story, but I want to share a story. And so I asked her permission just to read this for you here because I think it beautifully illustrates how the humble path really is the path to an honorable life, a life worthy of honor. 
Listen to this story. Behind our house in Whittier, there was an alley. Everyone kept their trash cans there and the garbage would get picked up each week. Many people would come through searching for cans and other items of worth to recycle. Jeff walked to and from work every day through that alley and he regularly engaged with those who were the regulars. One of my most vivid memories was a time that Jeff came home from work at lunch and asked me if we could share some of our lunch with a man down the alley. I just made empanadas and I was glad to share. So I came down to the alley with Jeff and he introduced me. We'd seen him before, but this time Jeff struck up conversation with him. His name was Jose and half his face was extremely bruised and the other half looked like he may have had a stroke at some point. He only spoke Spanish and his speech was slurred so much that it was really hard to understand him. Neither of us spoke much Spanish, but my Canadian husband surpassed me in his skills because he always tried to communicate with his patients and clients and he was never afraid to make mistakes when speaking and he learned so much because of that. So we were able to catch his name and that someone had already repeatedly kicked him in the head causing his injuries and that he collected cans to earn money. He was an older man, maybe in his 60s, drooled out of one side of his mouth, had to wipe his chin constantly. His clothes were extremely worn and dirty. His hands and body were dirty. He smelled strongly, even from a few feet away. So Jeff, in his limited Spanish, asked him what he needed and if he could pray for him and give him some lunch. And he said yes. And my dear husband moved in close, placed his hand on his shoulder, and began to pray for him in Spanish, (laughs) proclaiming the gospel over him as best as he could, asking for Jesus to show himself to Jose, to heal him and protect him. Jose just kept repeating, Gloria a Dios, Gloria a Dios, glory to God. Tears streamed down his face as Jeff prayed. After he prayed, we gave him four or five empanadas. We hugged him and that was it. I looked out my window and watched him eat for a few minutes. I've never seen anyone devour food like he did. He must have been very hungry. We never saw him after that day, although we looked for him. But that moment when Jeff reached out, placed his hand on Jose, she said, is such a tangible picture of Christ's love. Jesus moved toward people, especially untouchable people, and he physically touched them and healed them spiritually. And Jeff sought to do the same. He was always moving toward people. I want to live my life like that, she said. Me too. Lord, help us grow joyfully downward like Jeff did. One final comment from that thread said that Jeff lived a normal mundane life, but there was nothing mundane about its impact. So Grace, I want us to consider that living with a lowly spirit will produce a life crowned with honor and it'll produce a life that actually can echo into eternity and have tremendous impact. Last point, and it's a short one. Where does this humility grow? How do we grow downward? Number three, humility grows at the foot of the cross. We grow downward best at the foot of the cross. We grow in fear of the Lord best at the foot of the cross because at the cross, we're not only reminded very clearly of the gulf between God's holiness and our sinfulness, but also under the foot of the cross, we're reminded of the amazing humility of Jesus 
who spanned that gap by humbling himself and becoming a man and dying a shameful death in our place on the cross so that he might span the gap, bring us near to God and raise us up to him. Grace, how can pride survive when we keep Jesus and his cross in our sights? That's the, 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 that's the hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. His grace has bridged the gap. At the cross, Jesus, who was the high and the holy and the sinless one, took the sin of our pride and arrogance on his shoulders and he became an abomination to God so that then we could be forgiven and offered the gift of his spirit to come and dwell us and to begin to raise us back up to a place of honor. If you've never taken the first step on that path of humility, I want to invite you to do that this morning. If you realize this morning the tremendous gap between you and God and you realize Jesus is the only one who can save you from the dishonor you brought on yourself, it's as simple as this. Jesus said it in his story. That tax collector had one sentence. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It has repentance in there, acknowledgement of sin, and it has faith in there, reaching out, crying out for help to God as the only one who can show mercy and save. You could do that right now this morning. And I beg you to. Or stick around afterward on our lawn under, under the tree and meet one of our elders or prayer team and, and talk with us or pray with us today. But I want to close with this. I re read a lot of things this week, but one of the things I came across as I was reading through some uh, collected works of a pastor named Francis Grimke. He was an African-American Presbyterian pastor in the late 1800s, early 1900s in our country. And he was an equal rights activist as well. But in his works, I came across this statement he made about humility and pride. I want to close with it. He says, when the spirit of Jesus Christ gets into a man, it'll make him humble. It'll give him a lowly estimate of himself. It'll take all the conceit out of him. Like the poor tax collector, as he comes into true fellowship with Jesus Christ, as he comes to know him, the more modest will be his estimate of himself. It's the man who's seen the king in his beauty whose estimate of himself grows steadily less and less. You can't be much with Christ. You can't be on close, intimate terms with him. You can't drink deeply of his spirit without having all the conceit knocked out of you. Without growing steadily in a lowly estimate of your virtues and attainments. So friends, this morning, do you want to have the conceit knocked out of you? Look to Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. Keep his cross in view. Listen to Jesus. Obey Jesus. That's what it means to abide in his words and have them abide in you, is to do what he says. Trust his honest assessment and his correction, his reproof, his guidance, and, and prove, prove him right in your life as you in faith obey him and find that his ways are best. That as, as one disciple said in John 6, he does have the words of eternal life. So, last proverb, Proverbs 15, 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof 
will dwell among the wise. Let's pray that right now. Lord, we thank you for your life-giving reproof. We thank you that we don't have to get humble in order to draw near to you. We just have to come to you and admit our pride, and you take it from there. We thank you for giving us in Jesus' name. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we resist your spirit and we're haughty and arrogant. Lord, I pray you'd crush that in us this morning. I pray we would leave here joyfully exalting you and Jesus, your son, in our hearts and that you would by, by degrees help us this week to keep growing downward in Jesus' name. Amen.